Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Nejla Muhammad sharing her four birth stories with us. The description she used and what perspective her birth stories brought is exactly the type of experience we hope all birthing persons have. The power of birth undisturbed. Every woman is deserving to birth undisturbed and through preparation, support, education, and trust, she indeed can. Hello, Najla. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yay. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me and for you all doing this beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes, of course. Um, So I'm a wife and a mother of four. And um, I have been immersed in community work for since I was a teenager, so for 20 years. And um, I was led to birth work and birth keeping after the birth of my fourth child, even though I've always been passionate about it. Um, so I have taken on, you know, various certifications as a holistic uh, birth keeper, a holistic birth and postpartum doula and educator and um, a few other things, um, but I'm really here, you know, to, to share this passion. I'm the founder of Medium's Womb, and this is our, you know, legacy of remembering the, the, the woman that we come from, and for us as Muslims, she is Mary Maryam. Um, many may know her as Mary, but we you know, and I'll share more about this later, but we um, have her story as an example. And so her legacy has really driven my birth work. I feel like this is about to be one of those recordings where like we go (laughs) haven't before. I remember when I first um, started doing birth work and, you know, starting to do social media and all this stuff. And I went through the Bible and it was like, you know, reading about these like first birth stories, right? Um, Just those experiences then and trying to put it in the present and with the, you know, comparing and contrasting kind of thing. So I'm ready. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> right. I started getting chills, like, hold up. <laughs> Let me settle in. <laughs> so you do have four stories, but today you're going to be sharing um, about your last two and kind of incorporating the insight that the first two gave you. So however you want to dive into that, we'll start off with, um, can you tell us about your pregnancies? Cool. Um, absolutely love being pregnant. Um, you know, I really think the beginning of our pregnancy experience is definitely connected to our, you know, wellness before. And I've always strived to be, you know, a health conscious person. Um, but I did have some really intense um, beginning pregnancy moments. Um, but outside of that, you know, I loved blooming as a woman, you know, um, and uh, this baby growing in me. And it's an absolute miracle that a child gets to grow inside my body. So each time, you know, I, the, this is what I felt, you know, the, the amazement that um, God has allowed me to be a vessel to carry a child into this world. So my pregnancies were exciting. Of course, all of them, you know, had different um, lessons and different dynamics, especially because we were different places in my life. Um, but specifically my last, I was birthing in Egypt. We had moved to Egypt. I was about five months pregnant. I had lived there prior after graduating from university 
And um, I was a single woman. Um, and so, you know, it was an adventure to me, Egypt. And Egypt just was this amazing place. And I didn't want to leave it, you know, but I eventually did and um, got married, started having children. We traveled a lot and, you know, we found our way back in Egypt, but now as a family and I was expecting, you know, and so um, this will go into the birth story, but it's just to highlight that during this specific pregnancy, I went through some really huge changes in selling a house, leaving everything, family behind, and moving to a new country with my beautiful family. How did you prepare for your birth? Like, was it something that you were thinking about throughout the pregnancies? Um, And I know for many of us, when we have multiples, after the first one, it kind of can sometimes be the preparation for the next one. You're like, all the memories come back and you kind of um, fall back into the rhythm. But what did preparation look like for you? So first, I would say all the children are back to back. And um, when we look at the, you know, the design, you know, it's better to spread them out some, but this is the gift that we were given. So I, each pregnancy, I was still in that mold because the first baby, I was seven, uh, seven months postpartum when I was pregnant. The second baby, I was five months postpartum when I was pregnant. <laughs> and so it was only between the last two that I got, you know, like a good 18 month gap. However, my preparation um, really was founded on one, making sure that my relationship with God was sound because, you know, this is the foundation for all of our, uh, all aspects of our life. Um, And I was just really excited to like know more about pregnancy, know more about my body and what my baby is experiencing. um, And then how to really prepare for the best experience, especially regarding birth. Um, I would come to know more about postpartum later, but during those times, it was so much focus on, you know, this pregnancy, really making it a beautiful experience and um, birth. So I watched, um, you know, different movies that were out there, documentaries, I read a lot. And for each pregnancy, I continued to do this. It wasn't something that ever stopped because each pregnancy was like, okay, here we are again, let's learn more, you know? And um, it's the last pregnancy though, that I really chose to shift my preparation um, because I needed something different. I was going to be having my first home birth Um, And I always wanted a home birth from the very beginning, but because we had traveled, you know, those circumstances had changed even in my first, my um, first child was born in Lithuania. And I got there when I I think it was eight months pregnant. So we just went with a hospital birth, um, but it was a beautiful, empowering experience with the midwife. Um, But those were hospital births, even though I've always wanted a home birth. So here we are with this fourth baby planning this home birth in a new country in Egypt and home birth is considered illegal. So there's minimal support in, you know, in someone supporting me in the home. And so um, I knew that I need to, needed to prepare my mind in a very specific way. And I did so through one, calling out to God and just asking him to give me what's best for me and my baby and my husband and family. And really to, you know, just make this easy. Um, but constantly, we call it dua, is supplication, constantly supplicating to him. Um, and then there was a specific podcast that a friend had led me to um, of a midwife who, you know, was a very experienced, unassisted birther. 
And so I went hard in listening every night. I'm cooking dinner. I'm listening to the podcast. And this really just protected. I already had a very positive mindset, but it protected it and allowed it to expand. And so this was my preparation for this fourth baby. I'm hearing an ongoing theme of this word expansion. Um, I often talk to, you know, birthing people about that, like, it's a, a different way to look at pregnancy. It's not just the growing, it's not just the physical, it's the mental as well, this expanding, this blooming as you called it. Um, I think that's a beautiful way to um, describe it and it's something that more people should hear and really commit that in their minds as they're preparing for birth. Um, because it is this like this growing of you, this stretching out in all ways, not just the baby, right? Yes, you're so right. I just um, shared a post and um, I was talking about how pregnancy and birth and our maternal experiences are not meant to break us, right? They're meant to bloom us. They're meant to grow us. They're meant to expand us. Yes, they might crack us open. And that's because we might need that, you know, that opening, right? To heal, to shed some things that are not necessary, right? Because God always, he has, he knows our potential. And a lot of times we have these boundaries that really pre prevent us from stepping into that potential. And so pregnancy is this opportunity for us to shed what needs to be shed and really tap into this spiritual expansion, right? That, um, that you may not get, you know, you'll get it in other ways, but this pregnancy time is really like a sacred time. And um, even a verse in the Quran, we know that um, when Mary or Miriam had conceived that she um, went into seclusion, right? So she had, we always talk about the postpartum retreat. She had the prenatal retreat. And in that example for us is that this is the time where we turn inward and we turn upward towards God, right? So like you said, yes, this is the expansion and it is the setup for our maternal success, right? For our motherhood and, and our parenting. Um, so yeah. <laughs> the prenatal retreat. Yes, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let me write that down. <laughs> I love the thought. Of, I, I absolutely love the thought of that. Um, and just thinking about that story of like that it, I feel like so much um, of the prenatal period, sometimes we do do lose the ability to be inward because of all the outside noise. Everyone's yes. excited. Everybody wants to know what's going on. Everybody wants to know um, to be kept up to date, to what's happening to you that I think it sometimes can make it hard to kind of block all of that out and be like, I'm, I'm, I need to focus in on me in this, yes. um, like you said, expansion. Um, so I love the idea of being able to tap back into that. And I think it then allows you, like you said, to connect with that maternal piece of you and then be able to take that into postpartum because you already know what it looks like to be able to, sh to shut all of that out. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, that's essential. <laughs> Speaking essential. of prenatal retreat, um, it just reminds me that space in birth where when women are in spaces, they feel comfortable and they're able to move about naturally that we 
seclude ourselves. Like there's some point in the labor process that you either go to the bathroom by yourself, even if you don't really need to use the bathroom, is there's like, or it's like you move everyone out of the room in one way or another. That there is this space and time within that labor. Um, that there's alone time and that is important. Um, even if we don't naturally know why it's happening or that we even recognize that we did it until you look back on it, or if you're, you know, a birth worker who's always checking in on things like that and we recognize <laughs> that that in and of itself is a moment of progress and change, right? It's just this need to seclude. And we yeah. think about animals that go off on their own, other mammals go off on their own to birth alone, right? So interesting i think it's important too like we talk about undisturbed birth um but our preparation for undisturbed birth is undisturbed pregnancy so just as you mentioned like you know we have everybody wants to know no no um and that could be family that could be friends and that can also be our medical providers you know the excessive monitoring the excessive ultrasounds like all of this really disconnects us from ourselves and it teaches us, it takes away our intuition. Like as women, God has given us this powerful, you know, design where this intuition really leads us, but it's so tampered with, especially um, if we're in the system for our prenatal or for our maternal experiences. And so when we look at um, a woman who is constantly managed by a medical system, right? Unnecessarily managed, right? Because a healthy woman does not need this. Um, you know, it can really tamper her intuition. And then that tampered intuition can tamper her intuition that's needed for birth. Um, so it's really important to highlight, you know, that distinction where for undisturbed birth, we also need to strive for undisturbed pregnancy. Absolutely. Um, and the piece, the other piece of preparation I love that you spoke on was staying in that positive realm, like connecting to that podcast and that midwife who could really allow you in a different way to get yourself ready for your journey. Um, I just love that. And, I, and I'm thinking about, so um, with it being something that's illegal, and I know also like here where we live, home birth is not illegal, but it's not it's also not legal at the same time. So there's like this weird <laughs> boundary around it. Um, how does that look with it being illegal? Like, at, like, is it also a weird boundary? I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> For me, I didn't find it to be a boundary and I, you know, gain more clarity about it. But for me, first of all, as a woman, as a human, as um, a creature of God, I don't think anyone has the right to tell me it is illegal to birth where I want, when I want, and how I want, right? So <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, so it wasn't that, you know, it, it created this boundary where I was just trying to figure out, you know, how was I going to get the support and really just documents. You know, I, I am a foreigner in Egypt, right? I'm here with my family. I'm about to birth a baby and I need to make sure that my baby has her paperwork, right? So that we can get back on the plane whenever we choose. Um, so that, that was the only boundary. But the main thing in Egypt with the legalities is that it's the doctors, right? If something happens and they attend a home birth, you know, th this can be a problem for them. And so it is very rare to find any doctor who will support a home birth. And the midwife, the one midwife that I knew was there that supported a home birth, she was like very undercover. 
She's not going to do a contract with you. You know, you're probably going to have to like put the money in her bag, you know? Um, so yeah, so it's really more so on the medical providers, but I, I, and I've, I've helped um, supported several women in Egypt, both in hospital birth, but all of the home births that I attended in Egypt were unassisted births, meaning just the mother, the father and myself as a doula, not as a midwife, but as a doula. And um, that's how it went down because we're not willing to sacrifice this undisturbed honorable birth experience for the sake of legalities, you know? Um, so yeah. When you compare both of your birth experiences, how, how do you kind of differentiate between the two? So, okay, so they both were undisturbed births, but one took place in the hospital and one took place completely at home. And um, is it okay for me to go ahead into maybe the, the hospital one? Okay, so, okay. so um, my third baby is um, my, my second baby girl. And um, I had already previously had two hospital births. I always felt after birth, birth is empowering. If I can birth, I can do anything, you know? And so there's always this excitement around birth for me. There was never fear around it. Um, and I just want to highlight too, part of my preparation was my mother, right? I believe that birth preparation starts at birth. Our own birth experiences set the stage for how we will then um, develop our mindset regarding birth, right? So my mother had five children, unmedicated, and I never knew the depths of her stories until literally last year. But all my life, all I knew was that my mother birthed her babies natural, and that's what we do, and that's what I'm going to do, and there's nothing else to it, you know? Um, and so that was my, my path. Um, so with this third baby, um, having the experience of the first two, you know, I was like, this time I know to wait a lot, like wait to the last minute, you know? Um, so all of my babies, when I wake up at Fajr, this is the morning prayer, right? We start our day with prayer and I would always wake up with all four babies at this prayer and like, okay, today is the day, right? I could feel it in my body, the waves, my baby communicating with me, like God just sending me the signs within my body that today is the day. So I woke up on this day. We were actually supposed to go buy a van that day. We never brought the van. <laughs> um, my husband, you know, he went, he um, ran a youth program. He went out that day and my mother and sister came to the house, you know, so that when he returned, we would all go out. So they were with me at the house. Um, and, you know, tending to my young children, we're all playing together, really just a chill day. But I never told my mother or my sister that I was in my birthing time. It was, you know, my early birthing time and just protecting that, you know, for myself, especially because my mother, like, you know, she gets hype. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not telling anyone. And, you know, they can't really tell the waves. Um, my mother wound up taking a nap. And um, I went and, you know, my preparation for the day is all, from birth is always to prepare food for my children because they're with us during the birth. Um, so to prepare their food, prepare their bag. And um, I went and took my shower. And then I came out and I'm back in the kitchen and this one wave like hit me. And I was like, okay, it's rock and roll time, right? Um, and my husband just got home and he can see me, he can tell the signs, right? Um, we have this very beautiful connection. He has always been my doula. Um, and I have 
all of my births riddled that birth is intimate and um so he he knows me and he knows my body he knows the science so he's like okay babe it's time to go to the hospital and um so I wake my mother up and tell her and you know she's confused like what you know because I never told her I was in my birthing time um but we all you know got in the car and um I would always like dress up you know not like anything excessive but just put something nice on so I could take one last picture with my baby in my belly and so I get outside and I know this baby is coming. I'm not going to have any time when I get to the hospital to take this picture. So I'm going to take it before we get in the car. And my husband is like thinking I'm crazy because I'm really like having these waves. And uh, but I got my picture and um, we hop in the car. It is rush hour. OK, we have to drive down the parkway to get to this hospital. And uh, these waves are coming. My mother and sister are following in the car behind us and my two children who were um, two years old and one year one years old at the time uh, were in the back seat with us. And um, I told my husband, I have to vomit, right? And so he pulls over to the shoulder, I get out and I never vomited, rather my water released. And so I can feel like, okay, this baby is coming, called the midwife. And she's like, do you see any cops? I'm like, no. She's like, we'll just keep going. And we kept going. Got to the hospital at five o'clock. Um, I, movement is key for me. And I, you know, all the women I get to work with, um, you know, we always talk about the importance of movement. And for me, movement, I'm always moving during my birthing time. And so what the undisturbed experiences that I'm in, I'm in my house, in the comfort of my house, right? Going through my birthing time, nobody knows, right? And I'm just going about the day, letting my body do what it does and um, embracing that, right? And so when we get to the hospital, I'm so, I'm in this moment where she's about to come. I literally get there five, right? And I, you know, they want to give you the wheelchair, I'm going to walk and that's going to help me as well. So we walk, we take the elevator, we walk some more, I get to the room, I change my clothes. And, um, you know, as a Muslim, uh, it's, birth is very intimate, um, but it's also very important for me to uphold my modesty, even when I'm birthing. So I still wear my scarf and, um, you know, I have like a top on and a skirt and um, I change, I go sit on the birthing stool and literally <laughs> within minutes I birthed my baby I walked into the hospital at what time five o'clock and she was born at 5 20 and this is how I navigated an undisturbed birth in the hospital because I went there exactly when I needed to and there was no time for anyone to mention any poking and prodding of anything you know and even my midwife it was her first time to witness um a stool birth a birth stool birth and so she was just like in awe of the whole experience because it happened so fast um but and it was my first time actually for anyone to be in the room outside of like the midwife and my husband my mother was actually there um and so she was behind my back kind of like supporting me with my husband was supporting me as well that's like always his position but she was there as well this time and they're both reciting to me um but it was so fast baby came and um i reached to receive my baby with the support of the midwife um the umbilical cord was around her neck no problem midwife just un you know tangled it and i pulled my baby to my chest 
Um, and it's a very sacred moment, right? This entrance to the baby that my hands touch her first. And I always say um, for all of my hospital births, please, you know, honor that we don't want anyone to say anything. I don't know what I'm having. I don't want to know. I want the first thing for my baby to hear is the call of God. And so this is a tradition that we do is that my husband, and this is an Islamic tradition, not just in my family, um, a prophetic tradition that we call the Adhan, the call of prayer um, in the baby's right ear. Right, so the first thing that the child hears is Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, right? God is the greatest, right? How powerful is that to bring our children into the world like that? Um, yeah, and so, and then, you know, my placenta was born and we got up on the bed and I bonded with my baby. And that that's, that's that um, third birth story. Um, of my first completely undisturbed birth, um, but in the hospital. Thank you for that share. You're welcome. Um, that's how we like to roll, right? <laughs> if you're yes. not at home, it's like, let's just stay here for a while. Yes, a please. Just a long while. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and you really do know, like, it's like, just like you said, going back to that, once you've been poked and prodded and so many other people interfering, when you allow just yourself to really key in and say, no, nope, you really will know when it's time to go. Like you really will know. <laughs> you might be anxious, you wanna go, you wanna know things, but you really know, you know. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. Everybody hear that, you know. <laughs> no. That's yes. always the question, like, how will I know? Sis, okay. you will know. <laughs> you will know. <laughs> and then thinking about like that, Dan, like that ritual in a hospital, making sure it's honored, at least giving the opportunity um, and holding that space for yourself and be able to advocate for it in that shorter period of time. Like everybody just be quiet. Like yes. if you see a Muslim woman or any woman who chooses to touch her own baby, doesn't want to hear anything else, just be quiet and watch the miracle of birth. Everything is cool. It's fine. <laughs> I will see in a minute if it's a boy or a girl. <laughs> a few quick seconds, in fact. Like, um, I think that, you know, just, just being able to honor that in that space can be challenging. Um, but it's good for people to hear and know that it's that it can happen and that you're not, you know, putting yourself in this space of like just it's just xenophobia, right? Like people don't know what they don't know. And they're they're just like, well, what does it mean? And like, does it matter to you? <laughs> like what it means? Like it means something to this family and it's important to them. Um, and being able to just to have that honor is is important for you, for other Muslim women that are going into spaces that aren't always familiar. Um, I do recall having like a um, this one moment, like we're in this hospital training, all these people that work in a hospital and they asked a question about the Adan. And, and of all the people, it was probably like a hundred new people there or is going into the work in this hospital and only one person knew what it was, mm. it was me a birth word, right? <laughs> but, but there's so many other people that work in a hospital in these settings and don't have like basic knowledge about other people's cultures that are in our community, right? Yeah. So 
and it's simple. Like that's a quick blurb. You could see that anywhere, right? Like if you if you want it to. Yeah. Right. If you want it to. And just honoring a family's experience. Um and how important and beautiful that can make the birth for them. Um, Especially for medical providers, I think they get so, I know they get so (laughs) wrapped in protocol that they forget it's a birth. It's a birth. It's a birth. (laughs) It is a sacred (laughs) moment for this family. So allow it to be sacred. We hear you. We understand your protocols. We understand your purpose and your expertise and all the beautiful things that you hold. But this is still my sacred birth. Right. Allow me that space. Right. Just allow me that space. It's it's important, though, because we shouldn't have to fight during birth. We shouldn't have to, you know, say, allow me, you know, in it really goes back to saying, yes, this can happen in the hospital, but we have to be wise in picking our birth team, right? Because the average doctor may not honor it, right? Um, And for all my hospital births, I had a midwife and that's, you know, midwifery care can be very different in very different places, but because of the team that I chose and the support that I had, um, it was no question for this honoring um, to be respected, you know? And so we have to be wise in how we pick the people who will support this sacred experience and just know that that is really our responsibility to pick and choose, to say yes and to say no, right? Because you're hiring this team, you know? Um, yeah. Yes. You're hiring. You're hiring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care who pays for your insurance. Exactly. <laughs> We're still, still, still. Um, yes like yes it's your team and you can say no you can fire people you can do all the things like yep and you can ask your friends questions and they say well this doctor was okay you don't have to accept okay (laughs) you don't have to accept okay find somebody that's excellent find somebody that yes your needs and actually if you go in and have a conversation with somebody that's in their practice and that doesn't feel right either, that person could be at your birth too. So, you know, getting your whole team together. I'm thankful that you do, that you're, you know, talking about the difference between midwifery care and it's not a knock to doctors, it's a knock to the training, right? Yes. To the, um, the levels of care and what it looks like. Now, there are absolutely plenty of obstetricians and you know, that have excellent bedside matter, right? But there are enough that are not, that don't, and that don't sit there and listen to you, don't want to know what else is going on, don't want to know anything until it's time to push, right? Yeah. I not see them until it's time to push, which is, you know, works in, in your favor when you talk about midwifery care and, and having a birth doula and having that type of support, and even your husband, you know, having your partner's support and what they know and how they can support um, when you do want someone there. Yeah. Tell us about your fourth birth. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Um, this is, I told you, every one of my birth experiences have left me with beautiful lessons. And um, this is definitely the, the liberation, <laughs> the liberated birth, um, the liberated free birth. Um, so yeah, so as I mentioned before, I was um, five months when we, you know, got to Egypt and um, I was gonna, I quickly came to know that there is a traumatic plague of birth in Egypt. Um, C-section rates are high. Um, there is no like no type of consent. There's no conversation. Doctors literally do as they please. They have you on your back and will cut an episiotomy without even telling you. So this is like the stuff that as a pregnant woman, I come there and everyone's telling me these stories and I'm like, whoa, no, we are not going to sacrifice this sacred, honorable, undisturbed birth experience for myself and my baby. We will not. Um, we're going to birth at home. And so for the first time, um, I hired a doula, not for the work, the beautiful work that a doula does during the actual birthing time as a doula myself. Um, I, I didn't, you know, really want her to put her hands on me or even to really give me any type of comfort measures because that's always been my husband's role. And it's very important to me because we have this rhythm, you know, and that's all I need. Um, but I hired her to navigate birth in Egypt. So to understand those legalities. Um, and so she, cannot, you know, attend unassisted births. So, you know, she shared with me a midwife and it was all so sketchy. Like I had to go get a prenatal massage, like pay for a prenatal massage to meet the midwife, to talk to her um, and tell her I wanted to come to my birth. And um, the prenatal massage was good. And uh, she was an older Filipino woman, um, you know, who, you know, good at her craft, um, passionate about birth. Um, but I told my husband that um, if they come to the birth, I really just want them to stay in the living room. I don't want them actually part of the birth experience um, because I already felt like God had given us what we needed and it wasn't necessary to have them unless it was necessary, right? Um, so throughout my pregnancy, remember I went, I went through this like really deep mental preparation and also asking God to give me this free birth, specifically a free birth. I wanted to birth unassisted, but I tied my camel by hiring this team, right? Um, the midwife, like I said, she wouldn't sign a contract, but she agreed with her word. And, um, you know, we went with that. And I just, I prepared myself for an unassisted birth without knowing what would happen, but trusting that God was going to give me exactly what we needed. So, I wake up again, you know, at Fajr this morning prayer and feel that today is the day. Um, my husband, he's preparing, getting things, you know, for the home birth, not that we need much. Um, and I just went through the day for the first time with my children and really, you know, leaning into these waves. Um, my children would rub my back and they would recite Quran to me. Um, and my husband, you know, of course he would do the same, but he's also managing the house and just getting everything together. And we go through this dance throughout the entire day um, in this way. And so finally the evening comes and um, <laughs> I always use my, lose my uh, mucus plug 
at a certain point, and this is just like a personal sign for me because every woman is different and every birth is different. But for me, I kind of have like this rhythm with all of them. And um, with this particular uh, birth, the rhythm, that rhythm was off. My early birthing time was much longer, um, but things, as things begin to be intense, I was getting tired, right? So the evening had come, um, we put our children to bed and I'm still, you know, in my, my zone, um, but I'm tired. So I told my husband, I'm gonna bounce on the birth ball for 10 minutes, right? It does wonders. <laughs> and I did my 10 minutes of bouncing. I went to the toilet and lost my mu mucus plug. I took my shower and I knew like, okay. And I already knew like, okay, things are doing what they're supposed to, right? But I was just tired. So I said, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and rest and I rested. And uh, it seemed like a long time, but it was only about a half an hour that I woke up to this really intense wave. And um, I'm like, okay, she's coming or, you know, um, baby is coming. And um, I called the doula to let her know. And she called the midwife and calls back and says, yeah, the midwife can't come because she has high blood pressure. And it's, yes, <laughs> it's 11.30 at night and we're in Egypt and all three of us live in, we don't live in the same area. So the agreement was that the doula was actually gonna leave her area, go pick up the midwife and then bring her to me. And that's a lot to navigate, especially in the middle of the night. Um, and so no big deal because God has just answered my prayer for this free birth, you know? Um, so we're in a room in the privacy of our uh, bedroom and I'm using this birth ball. My husband, he always, you know, applies this um, beautiful, amazing touch to my back. And we have like this countdown thing that we do and we're just, you know, making dua, making supplications to God. And um, the doula shows up. <laughs> She comes and um, she comes knowing that she can't stay. And she comes and she's just like watching us, which it wasn't a big deal. Cause she was like, kind of, you know, like looking as a witness, like, oh, wow. And I remember her even respond, uh, saying like how we had like this rhythm between my husband and I. Um, but basically she did mention to me that she said, you know, if you, want you can still go to the hospital and I'm like still like that's never part that was never part of the plan and just because and I didn't say all of this to her in that moment but I was like no I'm not going because by the time I get down the stairs I'm gonna have a wave and then by by the time I get you know to the car I'm have a wave like no I'm not interrupting this we're gonna be home and this is exactly how we want it um and so this is just important as birth keepers to always make sure that we're honoring what our, you know, with the, the women that we're supporting want and not bringing our situation into it. Um, so for her, you know, she said, you know, she left it alone and um, it came to a point, it was only a short, like 40 minutes that she was there, but we knew she had to leave. And so um, my husband said to her, you know, it, it's time for you to go. <laughs> 
um, you know, and, you know, I, I'm so thankful for him because he always steps up and he really protects my birthing time. And I'm not sitting there having to advocate or fight for myself, you know, like he's like, you know, it's time for you to go. But I always try to find like the positive in things and the insight. And so what I realized is we needed her to come because we needed the umbilical cord clamp. <laughs> and that's what she brought. <laughs> So I'll share that later, but I feel like that was her re the reason for God sending her for that short time um, was for that clamp. Anyway, even though you can use a string, but let me stay focused. Um, so she leaves, these waves intensify, and I always birthed on a birthing stool with all three of my children. I always wanted a home birth because this is what's normal for a healthy woman and healthy baby. But because I chose to birth in the hospitals for different reasons, I said, I'm going to be in control of how the position I give birth. So I'm going to birth on the birthing stool, right? So when at the same time, my husband can tell baby is about to come, he puts the stool to the wall because usually he's behind me supporting me, okay? He, he's not gonna do that today. Today, he's gonna be right in front. And um, he puts the stool to the wall and he says, babe, when you're ready, get on the stool. And I looked into him and I said, no, I wanna listen to my body. And I realized every time I reflect on this story that even though my first three births were empowering, this birth stool was a defense mechanism. This birth stool was a way to protect my honor as a birthing woman right? But it was not me listening to my body completely. So in this moment, it was the first time that I just did what my body told me to do instead of me telling my body what to do. So I got on my knees and I birthed my baby. Um, and just to go back to the actual birth, I got on my knees um, and my the baby is coming i made a conscious decision not to push because we don't have to push right the body is designed to release baby and each of my other children i always push two pushes i literally would get on the birth stool push two pushes and in less five minutes they would be born right um wonderful but this baby i'm like no i'm not pushing i'm letting my body do this and so i just breathed and her head came out right, her head emerged. And so my husband, you know, we got to have the funny part. He says, you know, it's the head, should I pull it? <laughs> I'm like, no, don't do anything. <laughs> but of course he knows not to, but it's just that intense moment, right? Where everything is just raw and new, you know? Um, and so then I just, I, I breathe again and my baby, you know, she makes her emergence. Um, my husband receives her, I receive her, put her on my chest. And um, we just had our first complete free home birth. Um, and not just, you know, free from the system, but free from even this defense mechanism that I didn't even know I had, you know? Um, so after that moment, once again, baby is on my chest. Um, my husband gives her her right of, you know, calling the adhan in her ear, making sure that Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest is the first thing that she hears. 
Um, and then another prophetic tradition that we practice um, as Muslims and we've done for all of our children is to give a baby a date, right? So what you do is you open the date, you take the inside of it and, you know, chew it in your mouth a little bit and then put it inside of the baby's mouth. And the beautiful thing, the wisdom, like God's design is flawless. So when we talk about undisturbed birth and physiologic birth, like it's flawless, especially when we are living in alignment with our wellness and our spiritual wellness and all of this, right? So the date actually activates the baby's immune system. So even before the baby nurses, you know, and gets this amazing golden milk, this colostrum, baby is getting this activation of the immune system from the date. It also regulates their blood sugar. Um, so you see in the hospital, sometimes they're given like baby sugar drops, right? Um, completely unnecessary. You know, we have the purest food that God gives us from the earth. We can use a date, you know, so something so simple. Um, so we have those moments. I get up, I get on the bed, I hold my baby. And guess what? Placenta is still there. <laughs> um, and we're just in this moment. And about 40 minutes go by. And I know, you know, the birth of the placenta is not an emergency. It takes its time, especially when we allow it to. Um, but, you know, I, I realized like, oh, wait, I still need to birth the placenta because all of my other children, the placenta came, you know, quite fast. Um, even one baby, the placenta came out with her, um, my second baby. Um, so, I did. I called the doula and I was like, yeah, the placenta, we just, we had the baby about 40 minutes ago and the um, placenta didn't come. Um, you know, so I'm just waiting for it. And she was like, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm laying in the bed, hold the baby. She was like, well, yeah, just get back down. And when you feel, um, you know, just push. And so I got back down, I felt the wave, I pushed and there we go. The placenta was born. Um, put the placenta in the bowl and um, got back on the bed. Um, and actually I go take a shower after every one of my births. So then this is my husband's time with baby. And uh, we left baby, my baby girl attached to the placenta for nearly 12, 12 hours. Um, because we were birthing in Egypt and we were having this home birth, um, we did have to go to like the medical center in order to get the baby's paperwork. And I really wasn't, I had seen like a doctor maybe twice throughout the pregnancy when I was there in Egypt, um, but I didn't have a doctor that would write this doctor's note for me. So you need the doctor's note to get the birth certificate and you have to prove that you just had this baby. So for me, it was just easy to not only leave the placenta attached, um, the umbilical cord um, uncut for the, for the sake of my baby, you know, baby's health, but also, you know, as proof that we just had this baby. Um, so we went after like literally about 12 hours, we got time to rest. Um, and we went to the medical center. They saw that I had the baby. For them, it was like this big thing, like the placenta is still attached. Like to them, it was almost like an emergency. <laughs> um, and, you know, they didn't even have, have umbilical cord clamps. They sent my husband to the pharmacy Two, he went to like two or maybe even three pharmacies that were on the road and none of them had um, the umbilical cord clamp. And the whole time I'm in the room with baby, not knowing that he's out there with our other children trying to find an umbilical cord clamp, which I had in the bag the whole time from the doula. <laughs> um, so yeah, so yeah, we got that situated and um, you know, we cut her umbilical cord and got our paperwork and went back home and rested. 
Um, so, you know, that's the story of Hijra, my fourth baby. First of all, I just want to say thank you. I think the first thing for me is birth will find a way. Always. 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 There we go. <laughs> no matter what, birth always finds a way. Yes. Um, it's, I mean, it, there's nothing we can do. Um, COVID, midwives not showing up, illegal, legal, whatever birth will find a way. Um, and then something that's just so, so beautiful um, to hear you speak on is your connection with your partner, um, your husband and, um, you know, who, and I, and I, 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 I want people when they listen to this story to really hear that and how important that is. Um, I think especially like in Western society, thinking about like the history of birth and how partners or support people were really separated from the, 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 the birth. Yes. That it has caused this, like, um, I think sometimes unconscious divide about, and I don't want to say role, but their, um, their connection to the, to the birth, um, and just in hearing you describe like your connection with your husband, it's just how important and pivotal and um, how it's supposed to look and feel like. Um, and I know everybody's relationship has a different dynamic, but I think that rhythm that you find with your partner um, is, is what you need for your birth. Um, and even thinking about how, the, how you explained like, your reasoning for wanting, um, doula support. You know, I tell, we tell people all the time, you have to find a doula, like you said, building your birth team that fits your needs. And for you, like that rhythm with your partner, that's not what you needed your doula for. Um, you needed her for information, um, to help you navigate the process. And I think sometimes we, as birth workers, sometimes get caught up in like, okay, I need to be doing this or providing this type of support. And it's really about what does the family need and how can I fall um, in alignment with their rhythm? Yes. Um, I remember the first time I went to a birth where I, all I did was hand the, the um, birthing person a tennis ball to squeeze during waves. And I stood in the corner for the whole entire birth. And I yes. just reminded her to breathe. And I remember just be like sit, standing there like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be? (laughs) I was just so like, this isn't like, I was supposed to be doing hip squeezes and doing this and that. And it really taught me a lesson, just like your story about like my purpose in that, in that experience was that wasn't my, that wasn't my, my purpose. Um, Her and her partner had their rhythm. I was there to just, to give subtle reminders and watch over the space. Yes. Yes. That was it. Um, That's so beautiful because birth is a rites of passage. You know, you think about rites of passage, we have witnesses, right? And so in our birthing experiences, we choose our witnesses, right? Whether it's our partner and additional people. And sometimes, you know, it's just your presence that's needed, especially as a doula, you know? So I I can definitely relate to that. And then just um, the piece about the birthing stool really... I think can resonate for a lot of people about just how we do try to control as much as possible within our birth spaces. Um, 
and how even without realizing the subtle things that happen, how they can still be this barrier to really allowing yourself to just be free in it. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I, yeah, I just, thank you. That's, I, that's, (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, it gives me every time. It gives me every time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm just so thankful. Um, to hear to hear your stories and to to be in space with you right now for this because there's just so many parts about just your your overall journey that are just so touching I think in general about um being a mother um yes and and not only being a mother but also that like that other layer of when we're not mothers like who we are as women or individuals outside of that role um and that expansion piece Yes, yes. I know I'm rambling right now, but no, I'm just okay. It's good. <laughs> I, I do want to go back and say, like yeah. the husband piece. The husband piece is crucial. You know, if we have partners, um, this is part of when we talk about that prenatal retreat. We're trying to, you know, expand and solidify our relationship with God, which is going to expand and solidify our relationships with ourselves, right? Which allows us to trust the bodies that we're in and to be intuitive, but it also extends to the connection that we have with our spouses. And it's something, if our spouse is part of our birth, right? We want that to be a solid relationship because some ugly stuff can show up in births right? So we want to protect that. And um, I mean, in general, though, if we're married, it should be a a healthy experience anyway, you know. Um, But for me, I'm really thankful to God for the experience that he has given my husband and I in this rhythm and really just opening my husband up to, you know, go with it, you know, like I'm always talking about birth, especially now as a birth keeper. Um, But when we had this fourth baby, like, he would have never thought that we were going to be birthing completely on our own. And now he knows like, this is, this is how we do it. You know, this is an honor. This is um, a sacred moment that we protect. And it's so deeply intimate, you know, that actually all we need is the two of us with the cover of God, you know? So I, I love my husband. (laughs) Yes. I think for, you know, us, who are within the world of birth, our, our husbands, our partners, our support people hear us talk about it and are in it. So it's, I think it's easier for them to kind of be like, okay, yes, it makes sense. Um, Of course, when it's new, there is a little bit more um, kind of jumping on board (laughs) (laughs) that you have to work through, but yes, it is wonderful when you're able to just be like, this makes sense for us. Yes. Um, Yes. So let's talk a little bit about postpartum for you. Um, how was that? What did that look like? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, postpartum, you know, now as a, I I do a lot of holistic care myself as a postpartum doula, um, with the womb steaming and just making different herbal remedies for my clients and, Um, I have, you know, this regiment massages, but I actually didn't get those things outside of, you know, what my husband um, had provided for me because we were in another country and it was just the two of us. We didn't have our family support um, like there with us. Um, 
but it was still a beautiful postpartum, right? Um, a time for me to rest, a time for my body to heal, and even for me to tend to my body, you know, in very specific ways, um, but not as extensive as the care that I know of now and give now to other mothers. Um, but it worked out great because we were there in Egypt for the purpose of studying. And so my husband, he had just went on break um, from his, his program. And so he was home with us, right? And he was there like making the breakfast and tending to the children while I just got to sit and rest and bond with my baby. And this is what we all should be doing after birth, right? Really protecting this, this healing time, this restoring time and this bonding time. Um, so I have like really sweet memories of like the cinnamon that he would cook with when I think about after um, birthing this fourth baby of ours. Um, and even just this, you know, little song that I was singing to my new baby. And when I like think of those two things, it really takes me back to a sweet moment. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, postpartum is definitely beyond the 40 days. Um, so then this is a new navigation for me as a mo mother of four um in a new country and um you know not having help you know it's just my husband and I you know supporting each other as we should so there were intense moments of course as we try to navigate you know this new transition um but I love motherhood and I know that every transition is like I said to expand us and to bloom us and um so even when I have my challenges I still know you know that this is God trying to you know um to grow me you know so yeah that's just like a little bit of my postpartum experience yeah we here say postpartum is forever you're just yes, on different you're is. just on <laughs> different parts <laughs> of it um so yeah postpartum is forever it's a continuous it continuous journey I mean um, it's after birth you can never right. go back you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um tell us about your work um as a birth keeper with Maryam's womb tell us tell us about that cool so um Maryam's womb actually started you know Egypt was just like this a really opening experience for my family. Um, I birthed Hydra and now this is the story, you know, that we get to share with our family and our community. Um, and I always say, um, and so I'm a poet as well. <laughs> I've been like, my come from a family of poets. My husband is a poet and I'm a poet. So like, this is like something that's deeply connected, you know? Um, and so there's this, you know, snippet of a poem um, or a saying that I say, um, it's, you know, my grandmother, I sing it actually to my children, but it's a poem. Um, my grandmother was born at home. My daughter was born at home. And I pray that all of the children born from our children also find their way back home. And I say, this is my, one of my deepest prayers for us to all return back home, right? To home birth, right? Where it's safe. It's not a medical condition. It's not an illness. You know, pregnancy is this blooming, is this growing. And so it belongs at home unless you actually have, you know, a specific condition that needs medical attention. So Hydra's uh, experience 
led me um, to just share my experience with others. I was always passionate about birth. And I had a dear friend who actually, you know, came to Egypt two weeks before us. And uh, we had, so we were navigating, you know, Egypt together with all of our children. And um, now she was expecting, and she was um, almost, you know, her baby was going to be born soon. And she was trying to figure out what she was going to do because we know the trauma that happens in Egyptian hospitals. And we know we're not trying to go through that. So we kept saying like, we need to have this birth circle. We need to have this birth circle, this gathering where we can just, you know, talk about this, you know, to make sure you write sis, you know? And um, so we started the birth circle um, and I just gathered the sisters and I had this whole agenda of what we were gonna talk about and we got there. And of course the agenda went out the window. We started sharing birth stories, um, really powerful birth stories, especially for some of the women who had birthed there, they had experienced unnecessary C-sections. Um, so they were sharing their stories. Um, another friend and I were sharing our home birth stories. And um, then I just talked to them about how we were designed to birth. You know, the, the story of, and this is why Miriam's womb is named Miriam's womb, because it is an honor to carry on her legacy, right? God doesn't give us any example of birth except for the story of Miriam in the Quran and how she birthed undisturbed, right? And it's so much wisdom if you really break down the story. I have a whole class on this, you know, how the story breaks down, how undisturbed birth, you know, um, you know, transform or transforms or, you know, evolves. Um, so we sat in that circle and talked about this. And my dear sister, she went on to birth her baby maybe like three weeks later. And she was still, she, she felt like, okay, I want to have this home birth, but it was still this, you know, uncertainty. And even to the day that she was birthing, she's messaging me. And I, I said, you know what? Allah is going to take care of you. God is going to take care of you. She's going to get into that moment. She's not going to get up and go to the hospital. <laughs> and sure enough, the night came. Her baby was coming. Her husband, this is the most intimate experience they had actually um, of all their children for birth. And she birthed her baby unassisted with the, um, you know, care of her husband. And um, this was the start of our birth, birth circles. And so we would go on monthly to have these birth circles to really just talk about, you know, our maternal experiences and our experiences as women and just really to change the mindset and really understand the, the physiologic design of all of our experiences. Um, and so through that, I was like, okay, I have to do something more. And I went on to get my different certifications and just been studying and studying. And so, um, you know, here we are with Mariam's womb. And I've had the honor to support women through their um, pregnancies and through their births, like I said, both in the hospital and both at home and unassisted. Um, because like I said, we're not willing to sacrifice this, this experience. Um, so yeah, I teach. And this is the foundation of my work is because this is where we make the true impact through education. And all of our birth circles, I invite young girls and we have a few families that actually their girls are like, have always been with us with the birth circle. And this is how we make the impact because we are shifting the mindset while they're young so that when they do become married and they do become pregnant, we don't have to do this rewiring. 
Rather, we can turn in and really tap into that spiritual expansion, right? And so this is like the foundation of what we're doing. Um, yeah, so I'm a doula. I support mothers through these experiences. I have, you know, a particular um, love for postpartum as well, because unfortunately in our communities, you know, we have lost the way with postpartum as well. Um, and so there we are. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm there for my community. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, resources, advice, anything else from your birth? Um, okay. Yes. So one, join us on Instagram. Um, and we always advertise our monthly birth circles. I actually did like my first live on Instagram the other day. Um, but my intention is to, I, my, my husband, I'm like sharing everything with him all the time. And I'm like, you know what, let me just, you know, outside of the women and the families that I get to work with, right, I want to make a larger impact. And so I'm like, let me just get on this internet and share these things with this people, with our people, you know. Um, and so that's what my goal is to just share more on this platform and use it as, as a um opportunity to educate and empower um and you know for people to join our monthly birth circle yes i am muslim and this is you know the foundation of my life and the guide for everything i do but um you know i welcome anyone who isn't muslim to join us because we can always learn from each other um and, and that's that's what we should seek to do um so yeah i just want everyone to know that you know regarding birth it's your body, it's your baby, it's your birth experience, and it should not be sacrificed. It is an opportunity of expansion, of blooming, and it should be something that we never fear, but rather we go to with excitement, right, about what is going to come out of this. And, um, and we really pick and choose who is a part of this honor honorable experience. So I hope, you know, I hope that's beneficial. It's more than beneficial. <laughs> I mean, we are, there's always going to be one person and I know I'm connected today. So you already hit the quota. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just, yes, so many thank yous. There's not enough. Um, just very. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 